For 10 weeks ago, we began our series, The Master Storyteller, and uh, kicked things off, if you can remember that far back, with uh, according to a guy called Jonathan Gutzel. He's a New York Times writer, and he wrote a book called The Storytelling Animal, How Stories Made Us Human. And he says this, we as a species are addicted to story. Even when our bodies go to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. And he makes this observation, he's looked at stories that we tell ourselves, we watch, we listen to, whether young or old, they all just have a couple of common themes. And one of those common themes, no matter what type of stories tell, is told, is a happily ever after ending, a resolution, uh, where good triumphs over evil, peace returns, order is restored. We expect it. We long for it. We're very dissatisfied when it doesn't come. I remember watching the TV show Lost. Do you remember that one? There's a plane crash on a tropical island and there's polar bears. And you're kind of lost watching it, right? But you think the writers know what they're doing. That's all right. And then as you go from season one to two, you realize, I don't think they know what they're doing, right? And they had no idea. And you get to the end of the season and it was a horrible mess, right? It made no sense. And I'm still struggling with it, right? We need closure, we need an ending. We, we may roll our eyes at the fairy tale ending of Happily Ever After, but gee, we, we crave it. We need it. We long for it. As the story of Genesis comes to an end, indeed Joseph's story, we again hope for Happily Ever After. And we're going to see tonight that it does come about through th- three things, forgiveness, reconciliation, and inclusion. But I want to show you that this is not just a story, but see how this story meets the story of your life. So let's start with forgiveness. You know, when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, that would have been a big shock, right? Because last time they saw their brother, he was half dead, being carried down on camels, heading to Egypt as a slave. And the next time they see him, he's second in charge, ruling the greatest nation at the time. To sort of empathise with us a moment, imagine, you know that kid in school, in your year he was expelled, right? A real drop kick of a kid. Imagine that kid all of a sudden turning on the TV and then being voted in as Prime Minister, right? <laughs> that's the kind of shock that they would be experiencing. And that's what happens. But the greater shock is not so much Joseph's revealing, but his reaction. Because as his brothers came to bow down before him, What's going on through his mind? The dreams that he had. The dreams he had of his brothers bearing down to him. But you know what Joseph doesn't say? He doesn't say, hey, I told you so. Right? He doesn't say, he doesn't reveal himself, hey, it's Joe, look at me, suckers. You know, he doesn't do any of the things that I would do. Right? But it's not just what he says, it's also what he doesn't do. I mean, if this was a Shakespearean tragedy, right, and Joseph was meeting the brothers, what would happen? He'd say, hey, come closer. And he'd pull out a sword and stab them all, right? There'd be ten dead brothers before lunch. But none of it happens. Have a look what Joseph says. Genesis 45. These are the words that come out of his mouth. Verse 3, I am Joseph. Verse 4, come close to me. 
Verse 5, I'm your brother. And now, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent you. Joseph looks at his brothers and he forgives them. In word and deed. He shows them undeserved kindness and grace. The beginning of 2020, tragically, four kids were walking home from school in Oatlands, and a truck, uh, a car mounted the curb and killed them all. The Abdallah family. And then the mum and the dad stood before the cameras, the media, and they said the words, we forgive the driver. And those words reverberated out of our nation. Shock. They forgive him? You know, when, when such stark forgiveness is displayed, there can be a little doubt within us when we're watching and think, I don't know if I really sunk in the pain, right? I don't, I don't know if they really have got it, right? I mean, to forgive that big way? Like, but we know it's not the case, particularly for Joseph, right? Because verse 2, it says, He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Indeed, Pharaoh's household heard about it. This is raw emotion. He gets the hurt and the pain, and yet he still forgives. Because the thing is, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. There is no downplaying of hurt or pain. Let me give you an illustration of what forgiveness is. Let's say, for example, you've got an iPad, right? And after supper in the warm hall, they were talking. And I look at your iPad, and then I take your iPad, and I just throw it on the ground, smash it, right? Now, you'd be shocked, right? This is not a normal thing. If you're new with us, I don't normally do that if, you know, after supper. There's an illustration. But let's say, for example, I did that, and your iPad was smashed. Let's say it's worth $500. I would need to pay you $500 in order for you to have a new iPad, right? That would be justice. I broke your iPad. I give you $500, justice. But if you said to me, James, I'm a little surprised you did that, but I forgive you. You don't need to pay. That debt doesn't just vanish. Who cops the debt? You do. You take it on yourself. You absorb it. It's the case, but not just with money. You know when someone really hurts you? You cannot help like, like they owe you something. Like they've taken something from you. And normally our general response is, well, we yell back. We gossip about them. We might punch back. We might hope that something bad happens to them, right? In a way, we're wanting justice for them to experience the pain that they've given us. An eye for an eye. But when you forgive, you carry the debt. You absorb it. You cop it. Because someone has to pay for every debt. See, this is when it comes to Jesus and him offering forgiveness. He can offer complete forgiveness because he is the one we sinned against. He was the one we go. He's the one we smashed, so to speak. But Jesus' response when he came to this world wasn't coming with arms swinging ready for a punch. He didn't wish evil upon us. No, no, no. He dealt with our sin on a cross and he absorbed it. He took it in order to remove it from us. That's how he offers complete forgiveness. 
And that's what Joseph is doing here when he's forgiving his brothers. His brothers aren't going to cop, he does. But on what basis, right? Because this is the beginning, first book of the Bible. Jesus comes much later than that. He didn't know about Jesus. What resources is he drawing from? This is where we turn to Genesis chapter 50. Right? Jacob is dead, his dad. And his brothers begin to be afraid because they're thinking, was Joseph's forgiveness based on dad being alive? And so they make up this lie saying dad left instructions before he left. You do really need to forgive us. That wasn't true. But have a look at uh, Joseph's response. Verse 19. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph holds on to a very important truth. He is not God. He is not the judge. God is. Yes, harm has been done, but it's not his call to bring about justice. He has the power to do it, right? He's second in charge of a big nation, but he knows he does not have the position. That's God's position. So he knows, and I wonder if you do too, deep down, if we begin to enact justice for the times we've been hurt, because we're doing it from a place of bias, of raw hurt and anger, we will always overdo it. Justice will never be had. We will always do more harm than was done to us. So he gives it to God. That's his position, not mine. Forgiveness is not ignoring justice, friends. It is giving it to a higher court and saying God will deal with it. That is what keeps Joseph from enacting revenge upon his brothers who did horrible things to him. And you and I have people in our life who have deeply hurt us. But trust has been broken. And often they're the closest to you, like Joseph with his brothers. And the question you need to hold on to that will stop you from biting back is, am I in the place of God? No. God is the judge, not me. And I trust him that he will do good, even though evil has come my way. So that's the first thing, forgiveness. Second thing, reconciliation. Now, you might be thinking, hang on. The first time Joseph met his brothers, there wasn't an instant welcome back. There wasn't an instant moment of, hey, it's me, Joe. Chapter 42 is where Joseph meets his brothers for the first time. But it's not until Genesis chapter 45 that he reveals. So three chapters. Why so long? Why why did it take Joseph so long to reveal his true identity to his brothers? Because at first he says, in chapter 42, verse 8, it's on the screen, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. Now he knows they're not spies. He knows they're his brothers. Why would Joseph say that? He's testing them. In fact, Joseph does a number of tests on his brothers, placing extra silver in their baggage, 
placing a silver cup in Benjamin's luggage. He's testing them. Joseph has forgiven them, yes. But the question he is trying to work out, can he trust his brothers? Has his brothers really changed? Is it safe to be around them? To get them to come close, is that a good idea? Because last time he was close to them, they did horrible things to him. So he's trying to work out, can I be in relationship with my brothers again? Is it safe? And this is profoundly important, friends, because why some people think I could never forgive that person who's profoundly hurt me is because we think forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing and they are not. We wrongly think forgiveness means I need to be in right relationship with that person again, go back to trusting them, almost acting as if nothing happened, and that is not the case. Forgiveness can happen just by one person. But reconciliation takes two. And Joseph understood the difference between the two, and it's important that you do too. Joseph has forgiven his brothers, but he doesn't act as if nothing has happened. He doesn't ignore the past. He doesn't excuse it, because that would not be for loving for Joseph, and indeed his brothers, if he did that. So Joseph does a number of tests to see has his brothers changed, to reveal where they're at. He places extra silver in their luggage. Why? Are they, my brothers going to take the money and run? He places that, extra, that silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Why? Are they going to abandon him like they did me? Joseph is looking for evidence of genuine repentance, of change, clear, obvious change, of ownership of sin. Because here's the thing, friends. Trust can go in a second. But it takes ages to rebuild. And if you've ever been betrayed, particularly by those who are close, you know that it can go in a matter of moments. But in order for you to trust that person again, to be in right normal relationship again, tests will need to be done to say, can I believe you? So practically, those who are close in your life, if you're married, perhaps your spouse, your sibling, your good friend, you live life long enough and someone who is close to you will betray you. You will experience that moment where you lost complete trust. And you, by God's grace, might forgive them. But it is a different thing to reconcile with that person. Perhaps they may, you may expose that they had an emotional or physical affair or consuming a lot of porn. Perhaps that person was caught lying, misleading about their spending habits, violent, broken promises, words they said about you behind your back. Trust is gone. But you, and can I just say, it is right for you, if that has been done to you, if you are the receiving that hurt, right, it is right for you to do what Joseph is doing and do a number of tests. And you may feel extra diligent. You may feel like you're double-checking. You may feel even like you're controlling. But it's the right thing to do because what you are doing is you're going on a journey of their trust has been broken, but can I, with sight, believe this person? 
Can I, again, trust them, be in right relationship? Is it safe to be with this person? And you need to go on that journey, the journey that Joseph is going on. And can I say, it is slow. It may be three chapters, right? 42, 43, 44, 45. It may be three chapters, right? But that was years of Joseph saying, can he trust his brothers again? This journey is slow, right? If you've been sinned against, it is going to take you longer than you think to rebuild that trust of whether you can be reconciled with that person. If you were the one who sinned, right, you may find it frustrating. Why don't you trust me? I thought you'd forgive me. Slow. They're learning to trust you again. And your change will be slow. Growing in self-awareness of your own sin. What Joseph is doing here is looking for signs of change. Can I trust my brothers again? And there comes a moment when you realize he can. What was it for him? It was Judah, the worst of his brothers, the one who wanted to sell him for money. After many tests, he hears these words about Judah when Benjamin is about to be thrown into prison as a slave. Judah says these words in chapter 44, verse 33. Now then, please let your servant, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave instead of the place of this boy, Benjamin. Let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, no. Do not let me see the misery that will come to my father. That's the moment. That's the moment that for Joseph, trust is rebuilt. Because here, Judah is caring not about himself, but his dad, about Benji. And for Joseph, confidence returns, and that's the moment where he says, come close. Forgiveness, reconciliation, they're not the same thing. But if you see genuine, ongoing change, and you believe them, then reconciliation can happen. And it might be them admitting wrong, owning sin, right? Not just, well, no one's perfect, or, well, if you weren't so dot, dot, dot. No, 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 genuine ownership. It might be a repeated change in behavior over a period of time. Whatever it is, Joseph knows he could never change his brothers. But what was inside his control, he could see evidence of change. And all of a sudden, this is not just a reunion. It's reconciliation. And there's hugs and kisses and joy. You know, Joseph's story is an amazing one. But as friends, it's one we just don't watch on and think, oh, that's nice. Wish that happened to me in my situation. As this story ends, it does interweave your story. There's a third final point, inclusion. The book of Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. And like any death, it does prompt reflection. What kind of man was he? I mean, we've been looking at him the last couple of weeks. He's quite a remarkable man. Particularly he is remarkable in a sea of less than remarkable men, as we've been looking. I mean, it dawned on me the other day, Joseph is married to one woman and faithful to her, unlike his dad, Jacob. He didn't have favorites with his children, unlike his granddad, Isaac. He had a constant, unwavering trust in God 
even when things were going bad, unlike his great-grandfather, Abraham. He was a leader who had integrity trustworthy and died with no scandals, unlike a bunch of Christian leaders I could name, right? He is quite remarkable. And what's interesting is, as Joseph's story is told, Judah's story pops up, the less-than-ideal brother. Almost as a comparison, chalk and cheese, between these two brothers. Judah, as we've been seeing, is not a nice guy. I mean, he sold his brother for money. He talks about deception and murder. There's an awful incident between him and his daughter-in-law in Genesis 38. These two are very different brothers. As I pivot to heading down to the northern beaches, I realised public transport is not a strength of the northern beaches, so I need, we need to get a second car. And so we've been looking into second cars uh, for what type of car to get. And I've got an option for you, right, of the choice between two cars. These are not the cars I'm going to get, right? But just to help you think about which car of these two options would you get, right? You can have one of them. Here's the first option. Tesla. Brand new. A couple of people want that. Hands up. That's yours. You, you go home with a car tonight. No. Uh, the budget says no. Um, brand new Tesla, right? That's option one. Here's the second option. There's no engine in that. Two options. The Tesla, brand new, clean or shiny, or that thing, or the rusty old car. I presume you would go with the Tesla, right? God has a choice. Years later, he's going to send his one and only son into the world, and God has two options of which family he's going to be a part of. Could choose Joseph the Tesla or Judah the rusty old car. You know who he chooses? He chooses Judah. The line of Jesus, the family of Jesus, the heritage of Jesus comes from Judah and not Joseph. Him of all people. I mean, some of you do your family trees. There's people in this church who go to Ancestry.com and try to work out their family line, right, their lineage. And sometimes they're quite shocked of where they come from, right? They come to me and they say, James, I found out we've got slave traders or people in prison in our family. And sometimes they're really shocked. They say, James, I, we had a Labour voter in our house. I mean, I can't believe it, right? Sometimes it's quite shocking. But we have no control of our family trees. But Jesus does. He said, I'm going to come from... The line of Judah. Our world values finished products. Clean, nice, perfect. God values the work in progress. His heart is for the broken, for the less than remarkable, for sinners. And he chooses them because they're his grace. His mercy, his power shines. If you chose Joseph, that would make sense. I mean, who wouldn't want to be associated with him? But in choosing Judah, you see the grace of God. Which means, friends, Jesus' story of inclusion in the Bible and indeed now of his people, it's going to be embarrassing, right? 
I mean, some of you, as you read Genesis, it has really affected you. Like, God has picked these people? These people? It's, why them? And it, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, it's been so many times you see God's promise was almost in jeopardy by the bad behavior of his people. The people God includes, it is going to make you a little embarrassed. But here's the good news. If he includes a Judah into his family, why not you? You are in Jesus' family by faith. You're caught up in his story, not because you're outstanding like a Joseph, but because you did not deserve it like a Judah. But here's the important thing, friends. Judah knows without Joseph, he wouldn't be alive. The only reason Judah is alive is because of his brother Joseph. Because what Joseph went through, the horrible things he went through, he came out the other end, there in that position, and the result was the saving of many lives, and Judah was one of them. And the fact is, friends, without the greater Joseph, there would never be no us. Because the reason why Jesus can include someone like us into his family, because remember, he's just, right? He's ain't going to look over the sin. The reason he can include us is because of the greater Joseph, Jesus, who went through what he went through on that cross, and the end result was the saving of many lives, you and I. So as Judah looked at Joseph, his reaction was the same as us as we look at Jesus. My saviour, my deliverer, the one by means I have life. Brothers and sisters, the story of your life, it may be tragic, it may be messy because of what you have done or what has been done to you. And humans will do evil upon evil. And yet God has the power and ability to bring about good. And when he looks at your story, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, he doesn't say, too hard. He doesn't say, nah. He doesn't say, I don't want you. No, no, no. He welcomes you into his story where forgiveness is on offer because Jesus copped it so you don't. Where reconciliation is part of your story because his Holy Spirit is brought into you, making you aware of your sin. And inclusion is on offer. A reunion is coming. God's family will be together all because of our perfect brother, Jesus Christ. And there, Jesus will say to us, come close, come close. Jonathan Goodsall was right. We are addicted to story. And we consume story after story after story because we're all looking for the story, the happily ever after, until you find Jesus, friends until your story is intertwined in him by faith. Your story will not make sense until that happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the author of life, our life, the master of all stories, our story, we praise you that you are not hindered or hampered by evil. You are not perplexed or turned off by our wrongdoing. You are not repulsed by what has been done to us. That you are in total control 
So much so that you can turn the darkest of stories into the most dazzling. You can bring life out of death. We know this because of you, Lord Jesus. Who, though we're innocent, experienced what you did not deserve in the slightest. And you did it for us. For forgiveness. For reconciliation. For, for inclusion. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that what you went through, as horrendous as it was, meant the saving of many lives. And here we are in a room full of them. We thank you by the power of the Holy Spirit.